Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Henry Faulkner was a queer Kentucky artist whose paintings were collected by mid-20th century notables such as Tennessee Williams, Betty Davis, Marlon Brando, and Vincent Price. His colorful and fantastical style won him the name the American Chagall. He was also known for bringing a menagerie of animals everywhere he traveled, from Lexington to Palm Beach to Key West. He was known for bringing goats to art openings and to beach parties. His success allowed him to live as an openly gay man even as those interested in his work attempted to whitewash his sexuality. Join the Lexington Public Library as we celebrate Henry Faulkner, both his life and his work, February 25th through March the 3rd, 2019. Dear listeners, this podcast contains some instances of adult language and descriptions of adult situations that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listeners' discretion is advised. Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to talk to Robert Morgan. Robert Morgan is a Lexington-based, nationally known artist whose found object sculptures explore the intersections of sexuality, spirituality, humanity, and myth. He is the co-founder of the Faulkner Morgan Archives. He's also an activist for LGBTQ equality. Welcome. Hello. It's great to be here. So we're going to start off with your relationship with Henry Faulkner, the local artist. But before we get into that, I wanted you to describe to us what is found object art and sculptures? How, How do you create your art? Well, found object Mm -hmm. is an entire genre of art Mm -hmm. uh, that is approached differently by every artist. But basically, the medium instead of paint would Mm -hmm. be an actual object. And some people just find one object and say, that's art. Mm -hmm. Some people might find two objects, like the famous uh, bicycle seat with the handlebars that made the bull, and Mm -hmm. say, that's art. Mm -hmm. And then other people like hoard vast amounts of objects that they conglomerate into art. That's me. That's you. Yes. So you collect... I picked up every little thing when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I'd pick up a little you know, cracked bird egg that mm-hmm. had been thrown out of the nest and a little shell or uh, a particularly glistening little pebble or a broken wheel off somebody else's toy. Mm-hmm. I would pick up that little stuff and bring it home. So and I laid it all out on a little <laughs> table by my bed. Uh-huh. And it was like important little treasures. Oh, so um, you, you found these little treasures and they inspired you to make art? Well, not necessarily at first. Mm-hmm. I just laid them out because... Mm-hmm. They were found little treasures. Okay. They were your treasures. uh, But eventually, I ended up making art. And I say Mm -hmm. the basis for my creative process is still the same as when I was looking down at the sidewalk when I was a little boy picking up stuff out of the sidewalk and off the street. So that's your inspiration? Yeah. When you were a little boy, what kind of art did you start off doing? Well, my mother was an artist, like I said. So we had art every day. Yeah. You know, that was how you... Deal it was with part five, of your everyday five living. kids at yeah. home and no money. Yeah. You know, we will do art. You know, yeah. but my mother was a self-taught artist from Breathitt County, Troublesome okay. Creek, in Breathitt County, Kentucky, and she 
knew how to make art out of nothing. Old paper bags, Mm -hmm. newspapers, rubber bands. You know, the most expensive thing we had at times was scotch tape, you know, which which sometimes we didn't have because there was no money for scotch tape. You know, (laughs) I remember when we got our first box of like 22 crayons. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh my God, there's that many colors in the world. Wow. You know, you know like, we, imagine what you can do. We only that. had the like box that had like, you know, nine <laughs> colors in it before that, you know. <laughs> but now you have more to and, choose from. Uh, so my mother instilled mm-hmm. in me that the just because you don't have any money or any materials doesn't mean you can't make art. Yeah. I can remember making art out of mud mm-hmm. and sticks, just you know, in the backyard, you know, and uh, all day long doing stuff like that, you know. Yeah. But, so uh, that continued um, after you met um, Henry Faulkner and you continued I your just, art. I've never not done art. Yeah. I've always... It's just been always been a part of you. In the third grade, mm-hmm. each kid got to stand up and say one thing about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I stood up and said, I'm Bobby Morgan and I'm an artist. And everybody in the class burst out laughing, including the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's sort of been a repeat of that my whole life, you know. <laughs> I said, I've got some tough skin for putting art out there, you oh, know. Well, I guess you have to. <laughs> yeah. But my mother told me, I, I don't think the other kids even knew what art was. They yeah. just thought, whatever he said, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, I think most children are taught that this is something that you become later on in life. It's not something that you I don't you think in the third grade did. they've ever even heard of an yeah. artist, you know. yeah. So Henry Faulkner, the well-known local artist here, how did you meet him? Now, Henry was a well-known local personality, but yes. an internationally famous artist. For his artists, Less, yeah. He would like to be uh, defined as that, probably. Okay. But I was 15 years old, and I was walking around downtown, and I saw him sitting on a street corner with a couple of dogs mm-hmm. painting a picture. Okay. That's, and and mm-hmm. I just went over to peek at what he was doing, mm-hmm. and he immediately engaged me in conversation and we were sort of hooked on each other okay so just with that little inquisitiveness of yours you you got to know him yeah yeah and i understand that you actually lived with him for a while off and on over over years yes so what was it like living with henry well you know this was before i'd run off and join the hippies (laughs) but so but you know henry had a big house Mm -hmm. filled with exotic antiques and Mm -hmm exotic things and he was a very out and flamboyant gay man Mm -hmm. which i needed a role model for that and he acted as my father yeah my gay father okay and it's sort of old school to have a gay mother and a gay father you know (laughs) and they're not necessarily men or women correspondingly either you know but if you talk to older gay people from the more hidden gay world Mm -hmm. a lot of gay mothers might be a drag queen yeah. that have five drag queen so youngsters. So it was a nurturing, they, uh, they, like a, yeah. Yeah, but ongoing for, yes. you know, years. And Henry told me flat out when I was 15 years old that we were spiritually connected and that I'm your father. Mm-hmm. He told me that, wow. you know. And it wasn't like he told every little boy he met that no, at all. Just, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. And my dad was... Oddly, I, I had enough sense to keep a little bit of my meeting of Henry's secret mm-hmm. from my family. But at certain th- Henry was showing up at the house, banging on the front door, <laughs> telling my father he needed me to come help him do stuff. You know, yeah. was, Henry was so notorious. I knew my dad knew every all these stories about Henry. Yeah. And he never said a word about my involvement with Henry, my time with Henry, my mm-hmm. living with Henry. I, looking back on it, I wonder why. I think maybe because... He knew I was an artist, and Henry was an artist, mm-hmm. and maybe he just felt I needed that. But I think also my dad had some gay friends mm-hmm. when he was younger, 
and knew that I was gay. Yeah. Too, you know. And I don't I don't know why my dad Well maybe he kind of recognized I don't know this is just me speculating as a parent he he felt like he provided something for you that you needed at the time Right but yeah, then there's the part was... about Henry's house got raided and everybody was arrested when I was living there <laughs> you know it was on the front page of the yeah. paper <laughs> too you know I mean it's like what the hell's going on over there <laughs> you know like I mean there was a graphic story about like yeah, you know this big sex orgy with a school teacher woman from Frankfurt being and arrested with underage boys, you know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, that bit. no one that mentioned bit. it at all, you know, it was like, oh God, I thought I was in big trouble then. I wasn't home that night. <laughs> so, no, where were you? <laughs> I don't, don't remember where I was even, but I wasn't there that night, yeah. you know, so. I mean, it would have been fun to have been there now and say, I'll tell you all about it, but the time yeah, so happened, that raid, I was glad I wasn't home. Yeah, <laughs> so, I read about that raid. And, uh, and, and Henry was not phased by that even. He even thought it was like an award <laughs> because he equated it with like when Belle Breezing had been arrested yes. for running a disorderly house. Yes. And he finally was up with her, yeah. you know. It's, it's a social status. <laughs> Except the governor was not going to pardon Henry Faulkner. <laughs> yeah, but his CPA and neighbors across the street, Green Settle, were horrified. Henry just sort of laughed in their faces. They actually almost fired themselves as being his CPA mm-hmm. and almost just disassociated them disassociated him. from yeah. him over that incident. Yeah. It was that scandalous at the yeah, time. Of course. You know? yeah. So Henry was that to me. And mm-hmm. then also he was my mother was an artist. So I grew up mm-hmm. knowing I was an artist. Okay. And he treated me as a young artist and taught me to help him make his art. Okay. So so he supported you and encouraged you in your own art and pursuing that. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. In a way that, like, you don't get from just a local high school teacher in Lexington. Of course, you know? yeah, of so. course. How did his art influence you well, and your art? I mean, I was already an artist, and I've never done art that emulated Henry's art. Yes. You know, I mean, mainly I was just enthusiastically enthralled with Henry's paintings. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at one point he had me filling in backgrounds on his paintings. Okay. And and I was very nervous to do that. And uh, he said, oh, you don't have to know anything. <laughs> Just take the brush and... Just go with it. Much, so if there's any parts I don't yeah. like, I'll fix them up later. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. in one way, it was nice to be thought of as being capable of doing it. But then when he told me anybody could do it, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I thought, well, you know... There'll be somebody else if I'm not here, you know, yeah. but I don't know anybody else he ever told that to yeah. or he ever had filling backgrounds on his paintings. Yeah. But, you know, Henry told stories about his life in mm-hmm. his paintings, yeah. where he'd been, what he did, what his animals were doing, mm-hmm. what cosmic spiritual thoughts he had. Yeah. So in that way, I learned how to tell stories through my art. Yeah. Too, so that was how which is centered yeah, your, to my his stories. art was very different than yours. He's yeah, my story paintings is, but and... my art is not abstract in no. any way. My art is very narrative and tells stories too. Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm not sure anybody had taught me how to tell a personal story through my art. Yeah. I was only fifteen years old, mm-hmm. sixteen, seventeen during that time period, you know. Yeah. And so you uh, were just, you know, kind of developing your own yeah. sense and your own uh, pathway through yeah. art. And, but it was time to learn that stuff. I've yeah. been doing art since I was a little boy. Mm-hmm. 
So with Henry Faulkner, most people that are familiar with him know him with his pictures of his goat, Alice. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit how he got a hold of the goat and and why he was so attached to it? I'm not exactly (laughs) sure where Henry got Alice, you know, but he got Alice when she was sort of young. Uh I have an affinity for goats. Some people have affinities for goats. Other people Mm -hmm. do not. When you look a goat in the eye and they look you back in the eye. Yeah. And it's like a long-lost relative to some people, <laughs> yes. you know. And that's exactly the way it was with Alice. Okay. Henry loved Alice, and mm-hmm. Alice absolutely loved Henry. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Henry didn't have a farm, so yeah. he kept Alice in the backyard, took Alice everywhere he went. Okay. But put Alice in the car to drive to Key West for the winter, <laughs> you know, and stop at a gas station and let Alice get out and take a leak, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was like having a dog, you know. Yeah. And Henry would take Alice to cocktail parties mm-hmm. and openings and things like that. Alice was real well behaved. And so, you know, people were fascinated and enthralled. Most people had never met a goat. Yeah. Let alone, she was notorious. Well, she was famous. <laughs> yeah. And and she liked to drink bourbon. Okay. Henry never drank at all. But Alice, <laughs> he had to watch Alice because she could get drunk and, you know, trying to get a drunk goat back in the car and get her home. Could be a little difficult. <laughs> yeah. It was like not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Henry was a health food nut too, so he worried about Alice's liver. <laughs> so she shouldn't be drinking bourbon, but people would give it to her because yeah. they thought it was funny. Yeah. To, and uh, Henry was famous in our community for two things. Mm-hmm. He was an artist. Yes. Now, there were other artists in our community. Yeah. But Henry said, I'm Henry Faulkner, the artist. So a lot of people, he was the only artist they ever knew or met. Mm -hmm. And they would say, you know, Henry Faulkner, the artist, you know. And and then Henry was also famous for being a very outrageous, flamboyant, Mm in-your-face homosexual at a time period when that was— it was difficult to be. And, yeah. Difficult to be. There was a large underground gay community in Lexington that had been here for many, many years. But it was, for the most part, closeted, you know. Mm -hmm. Henry was insistent on never— taking any pushback from anybody about his sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most important things he yeah. taught me. So he, he was a, a gay activist even before. I mean, it was not acceptable And In the, the bigger time. cities, there yes. were people like Henry yes. in gay communities in the bigger cities. But for Lexington and here not in Kentucky, so no, definitely no. not. You know. Yeah. But and, Henry taught me that. Yeah. You know. And I think he taught a lot of the gay and lesbian community here to be a little more open. You know. The gay community is funny, especially the old gay community, because so many people are living secret lives. Yes. They don't want you to be flamboyant and out there because they're afraid it might bounce back on them. Yeah. So some of the strongest resistance to Henry's Mm -hmm. insistence and behavior was from the gay community. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so it was but that was that true for though. me, too, early mm-hmm. as a gay activist. Mm-hmm. You know, you worked within a small group of gay activists, but for the most part, the gay community felt threatened by gay activists because interesting. they had invested a lot of their lives in secrecy mm-hmm. and uh, privacy. Yeah. And, uh, and the idea of coming out mm-hmm. and having society changed would affect great change in their lives mm-hmm. that they didn't want. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you had to fight it on both sides, mm-hmm. you know. And you continue this activism as well now. Well, obviously, you? Yeah, you hear obviously. me talking, don't you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I told you yeah. something you didn't know already. So. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I learned from the best. Henry was not to be messed with. You yeah. Know? 
Yeah. Henry had a relationship with Sweet Evening Breeze, the well-known drag queen of, of Lexington, and he lived in her home. Can you talk to us a little bit about that relationship? Well, you know, a lot of people do not know how deeply intertwined their lives were. I knew they knew each other. Mm-hmm. Henry took me over to Sweets' house all the time. Sweets knew that I, I lived with Henry mm-hmm. and stuff. But Sweet Evening Breeze had taken Henry in when Henry was a homeless kid in Lexington mm-hmm. who had no career and no money and nowhere to stay. Okay. And Sweets let Henry live at his house mm-hmm. in very much the same way Henry brought me into his house, you know. Okay. So I consider Sweets my grandmother, actually. <laughs> and uh, Henry was so respectful mm-hmm. of Sweet Evening Breeze. And sometimes I didn't think Henry was exactly respectful to anybody. I mean, Sweets had a conservative streak. She said Henry gave her a bunch of paintings one time, and mm-hmm. she didn't like them and put them in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> she said they weren't very good. Oh, no. <laughs> and so she was telling it like it is. Um, you got it. Sweets, her parents were born in slavery. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about my connection with Sweets mm-hmm. and Henry having been a youngster in her house mm-hmm. and me being a youngster in Henry's house. We're talking about going back 150 years of history, history here yes. in Kentucky, you yeah. know. And with me, my age now, and youngsters that, I'm friends with, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a continuum of storytelling Mm -hmm. and influence and mentorship. Yes. You know. And you've created your own family, I guess you can say. I I seldom step far enough back to see it that way. (laughs) But but I'm 70 years old now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought Henry was an old man when I met him and he was 30. (laughs) That's all about perspective. He was a grown up. He had a house. You know. So, Who else did you get to meet through Henry Faulkner and being around his home? And I mean, I traveled a bit mm-hmm. with Henry. So, you know, I, I met a lot of famous luminaries, mm-hmm. especially from the underground world of literature. Yes. William Burroughs and Tennessee Williams. And oh, that's fascinating. Jamie Hurley, he, mm-hmm. who was at one time the most famous writer in the United States. Mm-hmm. He had written Midnight Cowboy, which was made into a movie that won all the Academy Awards. And he was... Mm-hmm one of the most famous screenwriters and writers in the United States. Henry hung in Key West at a time when it was the last outpost of Western civilization where all the renegades lived, you know. <laughs> that used yeah. to be it used to be a physical place in those days. Mm-hmm. These days it doesn't exist as a physical place. That was as far as you could get from the laws of the land and still be protected as a US citizen. Yeah. You know, closer to Havana than to, than uh, to Miami, the, you know. Yeah. And so Henry told me that he was friends with Cocteau, but that was years before in New York when Cocteau was hanging in New York yeah. from Paris. Years after Henry died, I was going through a box of stuff that he had left me, old photographs and mm-hmm. things, and I found invitations to parties and receptions for Cocteau in New York oh, wow. in the bottom of the box. You know, mm-hmm. Did he travel around the world other than Europe? Or? No, no. He got hooked on Sicily. In Italy. Italy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah a lot of his drawings remind me of the coastal towns. I mean, it just reminded me of a town in Egypt that I had. Now, had Henry was so, he, he was hitchhiking in Florida. Mm. Got picked up by somebody who took him to this woman's house in Palm Beach who was a multimillionaire who collected artists and poets. <laughs> and they became buddies. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, Henry, you need to see Europe. I'm going to buy you a ticket to go to Europe and sent him to Europe. When he got to Sicily, mm-hmm. he dis- he went to Taormina and was painting in the downtown plaza. And this old woman met him there and liked the painting, and he ended up meeting her. And it was uh, uh, Daphne Phelps who had inherited a giant estate 
from her uncle who was mm-hmm. gay, who lived in Taramina. And so, and Henry had a home there to stay too. And I went to Alice Delamar's house in Palm Beach with Henry on numerous occasions. And mm-hmm. she was an extremely rich, older lesbian. Her father had been a merchant shipping tycoon at the turn of the century and amassed a fortune. And she inherited it all and lived on a giant estate there. And there were like, you know, 10 or 12 artists and poets who just lived on her estate. And, yeah. and she supported them, their artistic careers. Henry had a way of meeting people. Henry was so magical. So he had a way of doing things spontaneously and just truly straight from the heart. Yeah. So that takes us to the archive that we actually had a a separate podcast about the Faulkner Morgan archives. How did you collect those and and make them into an archive? Obviously, I saved things as a little boy, Mm -hmm. you know, like I told you. But Henry taught me to always document yourself. Mm -hmm. He had hundreds of photographs of himself and was always... He used to take photographs, and then when he stopped taking photographs, he always had friends who were photographers. They were always calling, you've got to come to my party and take <laughs> pictures. And Henry gave me some pictures and things when I was young, mm-hmm. and then I got left all of his stuff when he died, mm-hmm. his photographs and personal letters and notes and things like that. And by then, I was already collecting stuff myself, you yeah. know, and I, I just hung on to it long enough. The secret to all of it is staying alive. Because <laughs> if you die before you tell the story, yeah. it doesn't much help that you memorize the story. You That's know? true. So I was lucky enough to meet Dr. Coleman at the University of Kentucky, mm-hmm. who was less than half my age, who was fascinated and interested and wanted to put some order. I had 11,000 items in my house, yeah. none of which even had a Post-it note on it <laughs> explaining what it was. Yeah. So we spent the first three years going through those. You know? Those and archiving and documenting. You got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then at a certain point, the archive got a life of its own. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and it is a nonprofit now, and mm-hmm. it is on Facebook and online. So, did you digitize, like, take pictures of each item, and people can view it? And we actually filmed me holding and talking about every each single, single item. item. So you can actually, if you visit the archive, mm-hmm. you can go to a CD mm-hmm. and find where that item is and see me actually yeah. talking about it. Wow. You know, and, and, and each item is timestamped so people can yes. go to us. Oh, okay. Yes. That's in the index of yeah. the archive. You know. That's fascinating. That's now, it fascinating. takes a lot of money to put all that online. Of course. One day, hopefully that'll happen, but yeah. that's not my responsibility at this point. So. <laughs> you just provide the items, that's all. <laughs> hey, Call stay, me when you need I me. stayed alive long enough. <laughs> to tell the story. <laughs> to tell the story. Yeah. 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 Henry didn't. And so I took on a great responsibility of, mm-hmm. I remembered everything Henry had ever told me. Yeah. I worshiped the man. Mm-hmm. And people tell Henry stories, and I was like, that's wrong. No, <laughs> it wasn't that way. You know, I mean, I dispute everybody's <laughs> account of everything, yeah. except my own. Yeah. And, uh, and I was behind the scenes a lot, too. Of you know. So, so I had a tremendous responsibility to get yeah. these stories preserved. Of course, yes. And that's a tremendous or responsibility. Or I felt I did, yeah. anyway. Yeah. A lot of people don't get that feeling in life at all, you know. Yeah. But Henry was important to me, and I think he'll be even more important to our community in the future. I I think so, too. I Mm. think so, too. And telling his story and telling it right, I think, and that's part of of you disputing other people. People want to clean it up all the time. They do. Henry's life was very messy. It's either clean it up or make it more flamboyant than it actually was. (laughs) Well, I've always learned that Henry's was always more flamboyant than anybody (laughs) lets it be because I was there, you know. But I, I cannot tolerate people wanting to clean it up. We went to court one day. 
And this was when Nixon was running. I, I don't think it was re-election, but it was the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and the Republicans had these bumper stickers and buttons that said, you can't lick our dick. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry had a big button, went down and got one, <laughs> and wore it to court. I don't remember why we were there. It was some traffic bull- <laughs> but this young cop sitting over who was waiting for another case, Henry was eyeballing him, and he looked at Henry, and Henry pointed at that and went. <laughs> <laughs> and the cop got thought and came over and tried to drag Henry out of the courtroom, and Henry said, unhand me. What are you doing? And the judge said, what's going on? And Henry said, this policeman is trying to manhandle me, Your Honor, <laughs> and all this stuff. And the cop got in all this trouble, and uh, the Judge told him to sit down and mind his own business and blah, blah, blah. And I I found that button. I've got that button. I put it in the archive. Oh, wow. Yeah, until that's <laughs> and, yeah it's that big. And it says, you can't lick our dick. <laughs> and it says GOP presidential candidate underneath it or something. It's a big political. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. You can get a, no, <laughs> Of course, Henry grabbed one of those and wore it to court, you know, so. Because <laughs> Dick Nixon was running for president, you know. People forget that. Mm. I mean, Henry wanted to be exactly what he wanted to be mm-hmm. and would want to be known for that. Yeah. So hopefully I can get enough of the real story out there that it'll be impossible in the future for anybody to ever clean it up. Yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> he was a that... radical for his day. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and he was a... And he was, even at a very young age, mm-hmm. interested in making a mark in the world. I mean, Henry was a difficult person at times. Mm-hmm. And every now and then somebody gets a chance to tell their one Henry Faulkner story mm-hmm. and they tell some miserable story about how they got pissed off at Henry about something and blah, 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 blah. I thought, if you have one chance to tell one story, why would you pick that? <laughs> Are you still so pissed off about that incident that you want to get even with Henry this many years after his death? You know, I mean, I don't mind them telling yeah. a story about how difficult Henry was. But I wonder, if that's the only experience you had, why are we letting you talk anyway? Yeah. And if you had other experiences, why would you choose that one? Yeah. But, you know, I'm a big fan, so, you know, I'm the wrong person to judge other people's experiences, I guess, you know. Yeah. And Henry might have been, looking back now, he he might have had some bipolar issues going on Mm -hmm. or at least suffered from depression, Mm -hmm. clinical depression, and that was undiagnosed and maybe progressive Mm -hmm. at the time. But it was a familiar problem with mm-hmm. Henry because I had been involved with it with my mother. I, I ended up being my mother's caretaker out of default, Yeah, you know, because I, I love my mother so much. I just wanted to make everything right. So I was real close to her issues. That's sad. Um, but he led a, a pretty good life, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I tell you, Henry would have been so upset about things that happened after his death. Mm-hmm. He took everything that happened in the world so personally yeah, I'd say sometimes Henry would have never survived a lot of the shit that happened after him, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was such an outspoken uh, political advocate and mm-hmm. organic gardening. He was nuts over it. He'd go in people's houses and tell them mm-hmm. they need to throw away everything in their refrigerator, you know, <laughs> and, or, or refuse to eat the food they made because they cooked it in aluminum pots and pans yeah. and stuff, you know. Everybody said, he's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When the hippies came along, Henry was in heaven. He said he'd been waiting his whole life for this kind of social upheaval. Everybody grew their hair long, went naked, (laughs) ate organic food, you know, played wild music. It was like, you know, finally, finally something's happening according to his plan. Yeah. So he was a man before his time. uh, Oh, yes. Yes. So he had a way of doing things spontaneously and just truly straight from the heart. Yeah. 
that shocked some people, you know. He used no restraint in his behavior or his insights and just spoke out what he felt from the heart. Yeah. From your stories, he seems like a very, he lived authentically, and that's the yeah. best life that you can live. But, so. you know, it was borderline eccentric, mm -hmm. and the way he was so open about being gay mm -hmm. and open about talking to you about anything personal, that it scared people, too, yeah. you know. Or some people just loved it and had never felt that kind of openness before, mm -hmm. you know. So you could go one way or the other with yeah. it, you know. Henry was very much hated in Lexington. And, sure. You know, people trashed his house and did terrible things to him all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. and he suffered a lot of persecution. Yeah. And the police were unmerciful. Yeah. He, he refused to uh, ever acquiesce to them. And uh, eventually, I think he sort of won and that most police just stayed away from him because it was too much trouble to fool with Henry Faulkner because mm -hmm. he would have them in court and have lawyers and, have and you know, they were just like, just leave him alone. Yeah, Henry I mean, when Faulkner, you look at the newspapers, you know. the old archives, it's all about his arrests and mm -hmm. unfortunately not about his art here, mm -hmm. at least here in Lexington, and not about what he contributed mm -hmm. to the art world or his activism. Mm -hmm. Well, there was no contextualization of activism. It was before Stonewall. It was before yes. there was uh, the Managing Society. There were no gay organizations, mm -hmm. you know, but I have photographs of Henry, you know, in gay clubs and things in New York and West Hollywood back in the 1940s. It was, he, he had come of age in large and out gay communities, you know. Mm -hmm. The repression of the 50s hit everywhere, you know. Where's his art displayed? Nowhere. Nowhere? Just... I mean, I'll tell you, if you want to see some paintings, mm -hmm. you can go to Crossgate Gallery usually yeah. and see about six or ten. That's it? Crossgate is on East Main Street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, right up there near Bellacourt. And they've always got a few there for sale. But there's no place you can go just to see. Oh, there's a, there's a couple of incredible books out of Henry's. Mm -hmm. You need the $500 one for the Kentucky Book because it is wonderful. It's in a big black leather clamshell, opens up, and it has 50 more colored plates than the other one. The other one's $100, and it's a mm -hmm. sumptuous book. But the $500 one's the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And there, then you can see a whole bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of online. I was just wondering, where are the originals? In people's homes. Yeah. A lot of the generation that owns them now grew up with them in their homes and mm -hmm. are uh, more attached to them than not. Yeah. I thought it might be the opposite, that kids would grow up and not care about them. Mm -hmm. But kids grow up and are crazy about them. So they're even more treasured now than they were. Their parents might have bought them because... It was popular in decor mm -hmm. in those days, and the, now the kids, the now, now the kids the, yeah. that own them, it's just it's an important part of their childhood, mm -hmm. and they come up for sale every now and then. Yeah. But uh, the prices, Henry would be amazed at the prices. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. we loaned a bunch of uh, photographs to the book because mm -hmm. I, I really. It's important that him, people see Henry's face, mm -hmm. look in his eyes, yeah. and I thought, you know. Ten years from now, nobody will remember anything about where this book came from. They'll open it and they'll see Henry's face. He can reach through time with his eyes. Yeah. Henry did wonderful paintings. But his paintings were a means to an end. Mm -hmm. The paintings are what allowed his life to okay. happen, you know. Henry thought as much about himself being a poet or a nutritional advisor mm -hmm. or an out gay man mm -hmm. as he did about being a painting. They were yeah. all sort of even in his book, you mm -hmm. know. He was so all those things. He, more. he didn't consider... The painting is more important than mm -hmm. his philosophy. Okay. You know? 
Well, thank you so much for for coming here and talking to us um, about your art and about Henry Faulkner as well. I think he's an important part of, of Lexington history, and I think it's important for us to get all the pieces. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.